Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of The Turndown. My name is Zach Bradshaw. I'm a prospective sports journalist, and this is my podcast. Welcome to The Turndown. Hi everyone, I hope you're doing well. I know I am personally doing fantastic, or as fantastic as we can be doing in this COVID world, right? Um, I'm going to start off today's podcast by just stating what it is. So basically this is an inclusive sports-based podcast where I discuss my views on sports and athletics as they unfold in the world around us. I focus on leagues like the NFL, the NBA, MLB, WNBA, I mean, basically whatever sport is on TV. And I also I also discuss individual athletes, sporting events, breaking news. I provide commentary on news from different leagues. I discuss athletes worldwide and share my opinions on current, past, and present sports stories. And so I feel like I have a sharp knowledge of players, teams, leagues, statistics, and so that, coupled with my unique perspective on the expanding sports world, has this startup podcast re- ready to be put on air. But first, I'll explain to you how I got to like the world of sports. So when I was about, I don't know, eight or nine, I began watching the NFL. I feel like the NFL is one of the first leagues that sports lovers watch. I mean, it's, it's fun. It's pretty easy to understand. And so me... Eight-year-old me, I just watched it, started liking it, and every weekend I would I would watch every team. Didn't matter what game, I would watch it. I just loved it. I love watching the action, and so now at an older age, I've become to like all different kinds of sports leagues. Like I started liking basketball and baseball and women's basketball, and I like frisbee, and I am open to new sports leagues like the fan-controlled football league and the xfl and soccer i basically any any sport it's like it's for me i love all sports and um now i'm able to focus on individual athletes and i have grown smarter and so i can make more nuanced arguments and more nuanced statements and so i I thought well what's the best way to to be with sports in my entire life because I wanted to just spend my entire life watching sports, discussing sports. And I found out about sports journalism. I never knew it was a thing. I never did. Back when I was in sixth grade, I was like sports journalism. I mean, what's that? There's regular journalism. That's just basically reporting on events worldwide. But sports journalism, why would... They need a whole field for sports. But now I, now I see. I mean, sports are so much more than just entertainment. They are invigorating. They help people get through bad days. And they mean so much to me. And they mean so much to so many other people. And so I found the sports journalism field. And I decided I want to go into that. And so started watching sports shows started watching any sport I could, started writing about sports, kind of including it in my everyday life just by talking to people about them, um, 
writing about them in English essays. I use them in Spanish assignments, you know, like, yo me gusta football, you know? Sports just became everything to me. They became my whole world, and they still are. And so now I have found how in-depth the sports journalism field is, and I want to do that. I mean, there's so much you could do. There's reporting and podcasting and analyzing. There's You can be a studio host. You can be a sideline reporter. I mean, the possibilities are endless with sports journalism and I'm not exactly sure what I want to be in the sports journalism field yet I'm not sure maybe maybe I want to be a sports writer maybe I want to be a play-by-play announcer maybe I want to be a sideline reporter I'm not too sure but I know I want to go into the field and you know one way to dive in at a young age is to podcast it's simple it's accessible it allows you to show off your nuanced arguments, and have people listen to you. So, for me, podcasting is almost a gateway into the sports journalism field. So this podcast means a lot to me. And so for this first episode, it's not going to be perfect. I'm going to mess up at times. You know, I'm just sitting here in my desk, in my room, with a computer, a $50 microphone, some pieces of paper with notes on it, and my voice. That's it. It's simple. But I'm passionate about getting into the sports journalism field. I am passionate about discussing sports and discussing my opinions on athletics. And I feel like I'm going to really like this podcasting experience. So with that, here is the first episode of The Turndown. All right, let's talk about Carson Wentz and Indianapolis for a second. Because a lot of people think that Carson Wentz isn't going to be that good with the Colts. They think he's not going to work with their offense. They think he's washed. Um, I'm just going to put it this way. I think he's going to be, I think he'll be pretty good with Indianapolis. I do. Now, let me remind people. Carson Wentz has a Super Bowl ring. Like, he's not a scrub. He has a Super Bowl ring. Okay, so... That's that's the first thing. Second thing, and here's the most dangerous thing. He's rejoining Frank Reich, the uh, the Colts head coach. Now Frank Reich used to be the head, or excuse me, offensive coordinator in Philadelphia in 2017 when Philadelphia won the Super Bowl. So now I get Carson Wentz didn't play in the playoffs because of an injury. He didn't play. I think like the last. Three or, three or four games of the season because of that injury. But he started out, like, I, th- I want to say, like, 13-1. and one. Like, he, he, he started out good. He started out really well. And that was with a new head coach in Doug Peterson. So he, he started out well with Philadelphia. He, he was good enough to get them to a 13-3 and three record. And then the backup quarterback, Nick Foles, took him the rest of the way. And Philadelphia was an, was a top ten offense, and so so look at look at Carson Wentz's stats in twenty seventeen, thirty three hundred yards, thirty three to seven touchdown interception ratio, and a one hundred two passer rating. Those are good numbers. Those are great numbers, actually. Any any coach wishes for that for their quarterback to have those kind of numbers. So you think you know Frank Reich is Carson Wentz's quarterback whisperer. And 
Carson Wentz in 2017. Just look at... Okay, so 2017 Eagles versus last year's Colts. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna compare the two because the 2017 Eagles are what the what Carson Wentz was on in his best year, and then the and then last year's Colts will be what Carson Wentz is basically walking into. Okay, 2017 Eagles offensive line ranked number one. 2020 Colts offensive line number seven. So Carson Wentz is going to have a good offensive line because in his best year as a quarterback, he had a good offensive line with Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson and Steven Wisniewski and Brandon Brooks and those guys. Now he's going to get another good offensive line with Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, uh, Chaz Green, Braden Smith, Mark Lewinsky. So he's going to have a good O-line in both scenarios. The Eagles that year had 233 passing yards per game. The Colts last year had 253 passing yards per game. So an uptick from what Philadelphia had, and that was because they had, the Eagles had good receivers like Nelson Aguilar and Torrey Smith and Alshon, Alshon Jeffrey and Zach Ertz. And last year's Colts, they had Zach Paschal and Jack Doyle and Michael Pittman, the rookie and Mo Alley-Cox and T.Y. Hilton. So Carson Wentz is getting another good receiving core. And then, in case Wentz had a bad day, which in 2017 he really didn't, he had good running back core. He had Ludgaric Blunt and Jay Ajayi, and they were averaging averaging 132 yards per game. Like, <laughs> that's pretty good. The Colts last year averaged, 100, averaged 124 rush yards per game between Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. So, in case Wentz has a bad bad game this year, he has a good running back core, just in case, to back him up. And then, 2017 Eagles, defense ranked 4th. Last year's Colts, defense ranked 5th. Like, those are striking similarities. Good O-line, good receivers, good passing yards per game, uh, good running back core with a lot of rush yards per game, and a great defense, top five defense. They're just so similar, and they both ha- they're, they're, they're both gonna have Frank Reich essentially controlling the offense. So the Eagles won a Super Bowl in 2017 with that offensive format, and now the Colts. I think I think they'll uh you know I don't know they're not gonna they're not gonna make the Super Bowl, they won't. They're gonna have to go through teams like Buffalo and Baltimore and Kansas City. The Colts are going to be pretty good. I I, I see them as 11-5, 12-4 kind of team. I really do. I think they're going to be way more special than people think they will. And I think Carson Wentz, this season, he won't be as good as he was in 2017. He won't be as productive. He won't be able to throw it down the field like he did that year. But I think it would be a safe bet to give him 25 touchdowns, 3,000 yards passing. Safe bet. He'll have a good O-line. He'll have good receivers. He has Frank Reich. And Frank Reich was like Carson Wentz's quarterback whisperer. Frank Reich was the one coach that Carson Wentz has really thrived under. So all those people who think that Carson Wentz isn't going to be that good with the Colts, I'm here to tell you he's going to be a lot better than you think. 
All right, familiar faces in new places. J.J. Watt, about a week ago, signed a $31 million two-year contract with the Cardinals. $23 million of that is guaranteed. And someone asked me, they were like, what do you think of the J.J. Watt deal? And I said, well, from a J.J. Watt standpoint, it's glorious. It's genius. It's the best thing ever. Best thing that could have happened. But from a Cardinal standpoint, this was frankly kind of dumb. It was. I think this was a, a dumb move on behalf of the Cardinals organization. And, but but, but let, me, let me explain myself. So J.J. Watt, he's 31 years old, and he just came off of an injury year. And his stats have been trending in the wrong direction over the past five, six years. And so, J.J. Watt is like, I just want out of Houston. I still am trying to get a, get a Super Bowl trophy, but at this point in my career, it's not a necessity. I just want to look good as I retire. You know, because most players, what they want to do when they retire is they want to look good. They want to go out with some sort of bang. They want to go out looking good in any way possible like Peyton Manning went to the Broncos he ended with the Super Bowl that's a good ending like for players it's all about looking good in their prime years and and if they look good toward the end of their years then it's even better you know people remember them for that and remember oh well this player is so good that even when he was aged he was good and so JJ Watt he's like Heck yeah, I'll go sign. For, I'll, I'll go play with Arizona. They have a young quarterback and a young coach who are working really well together offensively. And JJ Watt, he's going to go there and he's he's not going to have to be the best player on defense like he was in Houston. And he's also going to go to Arizona. And it's warm weather. There are lots of golf courses. He'll be able to buy a mansion in uh, the hills, probably Scottsdale, and he'll be able to to retire nicely. Like he he didn't want to go to Green Bay where it's cold, where he practices. He didn't want to go to Chicago or Buffalo where it's freezing during the games. You know he he's aging. He wants a nice climate to go into. Like Tom Brady, that's why, that's why he went to Tampa Bay. Nice weather. You get to spend a lot of time outdoors. Playing golf, the sport that most football players love in their later years. And so, J.J. Watt goes to Arizona. And he gets everything he needs. He's joining a good team that doesn't really need him. He's joining a city that will support him and will love him because the the Phoenix as a city is like thirsty for for good teams because Phoenix teams have not been good like all the way around like no Phoenix team has been very good except for the Phoenix Mercury but that's, that's still debatable so the city's going to support him and JJ Watt he's going to look good he's going to look good Cardinals will, pro- Cardinals will probably go 10 and 6, maybe 11 and 5. They'll make the playoffs, probably. Did you want? He'll look good. That's all he wants.
But now, oh man, from a Cardinal standpoint, I'm just like, why on earth did Arizona do this? Why would, why would you go after J.J. Watt? Like, sure, it'll, it'll look good for publicity, of course. Like, when the, when the Chiefs brought in Le'Veon Bell, looks good for publicity. Did he really help the team? Not that much. When the Chiefs brought in LaShawn McCoy, looks good for publicity. Did it really help the team? Not very much. So, like, the Cardinals, like, signing J.J. Watt, yeah, it looks good for publicity. It does. Will he really help the team? I'm not too sure. Like, J.J. Watt, he's he's getting old. He's getting older. He has been injured pretty recently. His stats have been trending in the wrong direction. And he's he's still a pre- he's still a presence up front, nowhere near what he was though. And if you're thinking of like replacing him, if you're if you're thinking of of using him to replace Chandler Jones or another, then that that's just dumb. That's just, that's just dumb when Chandler Jones is way more productive. So from an Arizona standpoint, it's it's questionable. When JJ's Watt, when JJ Watt's stats are going in the wrong direction, you could have spent the money elsewhere. From an Arizona standpoint, it's it's questionable. From a JJ Watt standpoint, it's genius. It's genius. Now I I predict Watt will probably have four or five sacks, maybe, on the season. Nothing, you know, too tremendous. Probably around three or four. Nothing too tremendous, but... From his standpoint, genius. From a team standpoint, not so much. I like J.J. Watt no matter what. I think he'll be be fun to watch in Arizona. I just don't know know how valuable he'll be to the team. But fun to watch nonetheless. All right, let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets for a second because... In my opinion, they're the best team in the NBA. The Sixers are a close second, and then it would probably go Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, something like that. But Nets, right as of now, best team in the NBA, in my opinion. But you know you know who they remind me of? They remind me of the Warriors from 2017 until 2019. Like that Warriors team with Steph Curry, Clay Mon- or Clay Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, Sean Livingston, that team reminds me so much of Brooklyn. Like so much. And they both also had a head coach that was a former NBA player. You know, Warriors had Stephen Kerr. Nets have Steve Nash. So they both have coaches, head coaches that are former NBA players. And I'm just like, these teams are, they're similar. They're strikingly similar. I mean, look look at this stat. So we'll look at the, the 2017 season Warriors. That was the year they brought in Kevin Durant. And then we'll look at this year's Nets, the year that they also brought in Kevin Durant. Well, I guess Kevin Durant came off injury, but you know. So 2017 Warriors, number one in field goal percentage in the league, 48.7. This year's Nets, number one in field goal percentage, 50.2%. So they both can make shots well. All right, 2017 Warriors, number one in points, 
this year's Nets, number one in points. 2017 Warriors, number one in three-point percentage. This year's Nets, number two in three-point percentage. They both shot around 41%. And then they also, the Warriors led the league in three-pointers made per game. The Nets are number four with three-pointers made per game. The Warriors had about 13 per game. Nets have about 15 per game. So actually an uptick in the amount of threes that the Nets made make compared to the, what the Warriors made. Like those are striking similarities. They both shoot well. They both score a lot. They shoot well from downtown. They have a lot of threes per game. They're really similar in that regard. And not to mention, the Warriors' defense at the beginning of that year, in 2017, they didn't play too well. They gave up a lot of points. They gave up a lot inside. They couldn't defend the the um, the three-point line very well. They had leaky defense. They, you know, The Warriors started out that season with a lot of question marks on, on the defensive end of their game. That's the same as the Nets, right? Like Kyrie Irving, James Harden, they're not really known for their defense. And then the Nets gave up um, Karis LeVert, and he was like, they gave up Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, and they were like their best defensive players. And the Nets were really questionable defensively. People wondered if they could even get to the finals with having a bad defense. But now the Nets defense, they've seemed to like figure it out in the past few games. So I'm looking at these teams and I'm like, <laughs> the Warriors happened to win the, the finals in that in that uh, 2017 season. They actually swept in the finals. I guess we'll see what Brooklyn does. But striking similarities. They both had the big three. They both had a really good bench. Both had really excellent coaches. Like net like the Nets coaching staff this year is outstanding. Uh, they just, they're really similar. The Nets are exciting to watch, same as the Warriors. And I don't know. I would, at this moment in time, I would predict the Nets to win the finals. I think I think the Eastern Conference will come down to um, Philly versus Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn will take it in six or seven. And I think Brooklyn plays either Utah or either LA team. And I think Brooklyn will beat them in five or six. I really do believe that. The Nets are just, they're, they're way too good. They're way too good offensively. Teams can't stop them. So I'll release my uh, finals predictions a little, late, a little later. But as of right now, downright, 100% would bet all my money on Brooklyn. All right, so moving on, Deshaun Watson has once again expressed his interest to leave the Texans. The Texans, for the past three, four months, have heard Deshaun's voice. They know he wants out, but they're like, uh, we don't want him. We don't want him gone. We want him here. He's too valuable. We want him gone. And so now, this drama has just been building up and building up, and building up. And it has degressed. This, this, this tension between Deshaun and the Texans. Deshaun wants out. Texans don't want him to, to leave. It's just a bad situation. So, it reminds me of when you're in, you're in school, 
and it's Monday. Monday, you're in your, uh, I don't know, math class or whatever. You're in your math class, and the teacher hands out this big packet, and he or she says, all right, do your homework by Friday. So you have until Friday to do, Friday to do it. That's five days. And so you take the packet, you take it home. Second, second you get home, throw it on your desk, and you're like, ah, I have time, I have five days. I'll just wait, hold it off, and do it later. So then Tuesday comes around. Teacher again is like, remember, remember students, do your homework. And you're like, I still have some time. I'll hold it off. Wednesday comes, same thing. Thursday comes. By now you've waited four days. And you're still like, oh, I have tonight to do it. I'll just wait until tonight. And then it's 11 o'clock at night. You finally get around to doing it. You've put it off for this long, but now you're getting onto it. You're going to do it. And, oh, wait, it's 11 o'clock at night, and you've forgotten how to do it. You've forgotten some of the, instruction, the instructions. You've, you've messed around, and it's a huge assignment, and it's due in eight hours. That kind of reminds me of how this situation in Houston is. They've put put it off. They've put off trading the Sean for so long. Four or five months now. And the tension is just building and building and building. The situation is getting worse and worse and worse. The Texans have been so stubborn. I'm not saying that that uh, they're going to trade him. So much to the point that Deshaun asked... Houston to trade him. They said no. Then he said, okay, sign Eric Bieniemy, Chiefs offensive coordinator, as your head coach. And they say, okay, we'll look into it. A few weeks later, they're moving ahead with David Culley as the head coach. And Deshaun's like, wait a sec. I I thought I expressed to you my request. I mean, the, the, my one desire was to have Eric Bieniemy. You guys didn't, didn't even grant me that. So he asked he asked to be traded again. Still the Texans are like, ah, we want to keep you around. So then Deshaun says, alright, you forced me to do this. Here's your ultimatum. If you don't trade me, I sit out the season. And now the Texans still haven't traded him. What there's it can't be more clear trade Deshaun Watson you know he wants out it's a bad situation the Texans haven't done their homework Texans trade Deshaun Watson he wants out it's a bad situation just trade him and you know it's not like Deshaun's just complaining aimlessly like Dak Prescott just complains for money complains for players Dak Prescott is a complainer some quarterbacks just complain Deshaun Watson has legitimate reasons to want out. I mean, look at all the things that Deshaun has had to put up with in Houston over the past two years, okay? they So, 2020 season, Texans have Bill O'Brien as their coach and general manager, and Bill O'Brien ships away DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun Watson's number one target. The Texans start the 2020 season 
0-4. Bill O'Brien's fired. They bring in Romeo Cornell, a defensive-minded coach. And the Texans go 4-12. and And then J.J. Watt, their best defensive player, demands to be traded. Texans hire David Culley when Deshaun expressed that he wanted Eric Bieniemy. And the situation has just gone downhill. And I'm, I'm, look at these stats from, from Deshaun Watson last year. Just look at these stats. 4,800 passing yards, led the league. 33 passing touchdowns, number 7 in the league. And 112 average passer rating, which was more than Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, and Patrick Mahomes. I'm just, and, and the Texans went 4-12. and 12. And that was with Houston's O-line being ranked 23rd. Like, they they gave up 49 sacks. Second most in the, in the league. Deshaun was sacked 49 times. But Deshaun made gold out of goo. And it, I think it was a miracle the Texans even won four games. With, with they, Deshaun had no help. No help at all. He had okay running backs, okay receivers, awful offensive line, a new head coach, and a horrendous, horrendous defense. Not to mention that it was a COVID year, so he didn't have camps, he didn't have um, a preseason. And now the Texans coming into this year, no first round pick, no second round pick. They traded both of them to Miami. And... Their first pick is in round three. And then I'm like, oh, great. So the Texans will go and get an average player that they can't even really build around. I've, oh, oh, good. Goodness. Oh, it's so bad. It is a it is an awful situation. And the Texans actually have a pretty tough schedule, too. Like, they've got to face KC. They've got to face Tennessee and Ryan Tannehill twice a year. They've got to face... Carson Wentz now with the Colts. They've got to face Trevor Lawrence, the number one draft pick in Jacksonville. So they have a tough schedule. Their team is falling apart. They have a new head coach that Deshaun doesn't like. They have no help surrounding Deshaun. It's an awful situation. And I'm just like, seriously, Houston, you're not going to go above 500 with or without Deshaun. You're horrible. You're you're a three and thirteen, a four and four and twelve team maybe. But the reality is that you're horrendous, as a team right now. You're awful. So please, don't just stop being so petty, stop being so stubborn. Trade to Sean Watson. All right, I'm gonna do a little bit of complaining here. The NBA All Star Game was this weekend. And that means the dunk contest was also this weekend. It was during halftime. And I didn't know what I would expect of a pandemic year, pandemic-influenced dunk contest. But, oh man, I didn't expect it to be that bad. That, that dunk contest was horrible. First of all, it was three rookies. Okay, because all the other players who were supposed to compete opted out. So it, it ended up being three rookies 
Anthony Simons, Cassius Stanley, and Obi Toppin. They're they're all incredibly talented. They're all really unique players. And I love them all. I love to watch them all. I do. But no one wants an all rookie dunk contest. Like we want we want to see like the veterans going up for dunks. We wanted to see players like Kristaps Porzingis and I don't know Kawhi Leonard and Paul George doing doing dunks. We didn't we didn't want to see these three rookies coming and doing dunks. It's just like it's not that fun. It's really not. Would you rather watch in high school? Would you rather watch freshman football or varsity football? Like varsity football any day. It's more experience. The players play better. It's more fun. So, this year's dunk contest, it was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I also really don't know how Anthony Simons won. That that blew me away. Like, Cassius Stanley goes up, does, in, does, does an in-between-his-legs-360-backwards dunk, and then gets a 44 for it. But then Cassius Stanley comes up, or excuse me, uh, Anthony Simons comes up and just jumps 12 feet to grab the ball and dunks it, and he gets like a 49. And I'm like, where, why did the judges like that so much? And and then and then Obi Toppin, Obi Toppin dunked over not one, but two people, and he got like a 47 for it. And that was, it was a vicious, a vicious slam. So I don't, man, I don't, I don't know why the judges loved Anthony Simon so much. I really don't. Like, I get that he's 5'9", he jumped 12 12 feet. So what? The dunk contest is all about flair and style and dunking it with all your might. Not about getting as high as you can to dunk. Like, yeah, sure, that's part of it. That's cool, but... The dunk contest has always been about who can do it the flashiest. Like Michael Jordan jumping from the uh, free throw line. Or like others jumping over cars. Or like Aaron Gordon using that um, statue in New Orleans and grabbing the ball from him and dunking it. Like, the dunk contest is usually about style and finesse. And, and like, gumption. But... This year, they, I just, Anthony Simons just, he jumped high. Like, that's what he did. He jumped high to grab the ball. He jumped high and attempted to kiss the rim. He just jumped high. So, I don't know how he won. I guess that, again, what did I expect out of a pandemic dunk contest? But I expected a little better than that. So, hopefully next year, we just get a better dunk contest. I mean that because this this year was bad. All right, let's go to last but not least, and I'm going to talk about the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, I think that the, the the time for them to win is now. They need to start winning. They need to. They're a nothing franchise. They are so overlooked in the NFL. Because they're so mediocre, 
they're a nobody. They really are. And when you think of the last five years for Los Angeles, for the, for the Chargers, last five years, 38-42 record. So mediocre, average. You know, they're not bad, but they're not good. The good teams, they get a lot of publicity. The bad teams get a lot of publicity because they're so bad. But the mediocre ones, they don't get a lot of publicity. Like the Chargers, the Vikings, they don't get a lot of publicity. They just, they're really overlooked. They're always not great, but they're not terrible. They get a middle round pick, and they're just meh, you know. So, Chargers really overlooked. And when you think of the last five years, they moved from San Diego to LA in 2017. So that was a whole new fan base, a whole new city. I know they lost a lot of fans in the move because some people liked them better in San Diego. They don't they don't like them in LA. They think it's too um, universal, too compact there. Last five years, Chargers have also had three new head coaches. Mike McCoy, Anthony Lynn, now Brandon Staley. And the Chargers moved off moved off of their franchise quarterback, Phillip Rivers. So think, taking that all into account, like mediocre record, moved cities, bunch of new head coaches, moved off their franchise, head, franchise quarterback. It's like they lost a lot of fans. They really, they really did. I know a couple of Chargers fans that used to be Chargers fans. Now they're no longer Chargers fans. They've, they've just lost their fan base. They've just been pretty pathetically bad and unorganized. They've been a mess. And so this year, this year specifically, this upcoming season, they have a great opportunity to, set, to steer the ship right. They really do. They just got a new stadium, which will probably have fans this season. They have a new logo, so they kind of rebranded themselves, kind of threw away that old logo that they had in San Diego. Now they have a new logo for LA. And the biggest thing, they have Justin Herbert. And Justin Herbert is a stud football player. And he's going into his second year. You know, he's not a rookie anymore. He's going into his second year. And guys are usually better in their second year. And Justin Herbert, I think he's the one thing that'll that'll, uh, be the canary in the mine shaft for the Chargers. Seriously. Because, think about it. The Chargers offensive line last year ranked dead last in the NFL. 32 out of 32. But Justin Herbert threw for 4,300 passing yards, 6th in the NFL, more than Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. Herbert threw for 31 passing touchdowns, 10th in the NFL. And he only had 10 interceptions, less than Russell Wilson and Tom Brady. And that was with an offensive line that ranked last in the league. That just shows you how good Justin Herbert is. He is a phenom. He is a rising star. 
and he's going to only get better from here. And the Chargers also, they've got a new head coach, head, head coach, so new culture. They've got a really good receiving core with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, Jalen Guyton. They have a good running back core with Joshua Kelly and Austin Eckler. They are primed to have a good season. They just need a better O-line. They need, they need to upgrade on the offensive line. They need probably another defensive lineman to complement Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. And, you know, Linville Joseph, he's 32, so he's 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 kind of aging. They might, might want to replace him. And, you know, the Chargers, they have the 13th pick, the 47th pick, and the 78th picks to do it. So I, I like Wyatt Davis. I like Elijah Vera Tucker in terms of offensive linemen. There's a lot of speculation that Alejandro Villanueva from the Steelers will go over to L.A. And then if that happens, I think the Chargers could maybe pull off a Jalen Phillips or a Jalen Twyman, both defensive linemen, to upgrade their pass rush. And they can, they can start winning games. Because they can't be forgotten by L.A. Right now they're a forgotten franchise. And they just need to get their footing in the city of L.A. Because when you think of the teams that the city likes as, as an entire city, the teams that they like the most, I think we'd go Lakers, Dodgers, you know, both just won the championship, so the, the, so the city re- really likes them. Then I think it would go USC, Clippers. I think it would go Los Angeles Angels. I guess the Kings, Sparks, Rams, and then the Chargers. You know, that's a heck of a list to be behind. So I think this year, to to gain their footing in L.A., they've got to start winning this season. You know, and they're going in the right direction. They're going in the right direction. Good defense, phenom young quarterback, new coach, great wide receivers, great running back core. They have 13th pick in the draft. And this year, they're going to have fans in the stands. And because they're good, they'll probably get more nationally televised games. That'll help them. So make a break time for the Chargers this season. All right, that is going to wrap us up for the first episode of the podcast. I appreciate all of you tuning in. And let me know how I did. Let me know what I could change. Let me know what I could improve. Again, I am a prospective sports journalist, so I would love some feedback. And... As for me, I am Zach Bradshaw, signing off. Thank you for listening to The Turndown.